Mike Massing. I'm so excited to have you come and preach with us today, mate. Take it away. Thank you, thank you. This is good, and uh, yeah, thanks for doing well and getting here for the, for the 8.30 service. So if people walk in at sort of 9.30 because they didn't see the, the notices, just don't worry, just, just show them a seat and, and we'll, we'll, make it, we'll work it out. Um, but it, uh, it is good. And um, you know, thank you for that word. Wow, guys, just remember that actually. Um, incredible, that word about God extending his hand to us. And as we go through today, I want you to remember that because that's where we're going to land again. Um, and you know, Lauren and the team, thanks for that worship. Uh, amazing to have some Afrikaans. My Natal Afrikaans was coming out strong there. Um, so we'll, we'll keep working on that. So luckily, there was a mask over that <coughs> too. Anyway, let's get going today. And I want to start because we have an interesting story today. And the best way I can explain it is to start by just using a, a movie um, scene analogy. You know those scenes in a movie, and, and maybe it's a, a comedy where a character gives this big rallying call, this, this big speech, and shouts like, hey, who's with me? And, and everyone goes, yes, we are. And then they all turn the opposite direction, and they do something else. That kind of thing. Like, that would have never have happened like in Braveheart. Just imagine William Wallace there on the field with his blue across his face, and he's saying, are you with me? And the battle cry goes, yes, we are. And then they take their horses and they run off another direction. It's never going to happen, but this is what we see today in our Exodus text. Last week, Luke led us so well through this tough text of the Ten Commandments, and he he spoke about this rescue uh, before rules. And so when we embrace these rules or boundaries, and he was using the the rules because it was alliteration, and so there were lots of R's in there, but these boundaries, it leads to this flourishing relationship, and we can represent uh, God. So leading up to Exodus 32, uh, we see these this rescued people, this radically freed from, from slavery out of Egypt, on the way to the promised land, God, God providing food and shoes for them. They've seen miracle after miracle. So now they're at this moment where they need to become their own people. So after being ruled by the Egyptians for so long, God is going to provide some, some governance uh, for them. So Moses has been up on the mountain. He's been receiving these Ten Commandments. They're entering into this covenant relationship. In the previous chapter, we, we see the Israelites saying, we will obey. Yeah, this is going well. So Moses goes, great, I'm going back up the mountain to speak to God again, and he's going to get instructions for building the tabernacle. So we'll unpack that next week, but that's God's planned dwelling place um, with his people among them. And so he's gone for 40 days, just six weeks. This should be an exciting time for these Israelites to, to really be waiting and expecting to what's going to happen next. God's going to be setting up this dwelling place for himself with them, among his people, presencing himself there, living with his people in this beautiful relationship. This is going to be huge. So Moses goes up the mountain. Meanwhile, back at the camp. Meanwhile, back at the camp. Let's read what happens today. And it's a chunky piece of text, so I'm going to skim over some of it, but we're going to read from Exodus 32 um, and from the beginning there as well. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together and to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that they were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. 
And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom have brought you up of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord and said, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self. And he said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised. And I will give you to your offspring, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down to the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. We skip on. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. We skip on later. And Moses says to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of, of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we did not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> a little bit later... The next day, Moses says to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and, alas, and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out from your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Wow. This amazing story of hope. Off to the promised land together. God with them. This new covenant. Just turns to tragedy. In just a short period of time. Fail. Epic fail. All because of idolatry. Because they're setting up a created thing. As God and choosing to worship created things rather than God Himself. So the question that we find ourselves asking today is: Do we do this too? What are the things that we substitute for God? We constantly put our trust in, in, in things that were never designed to fulfill us. And I believe God is lovingly reaching out to us today, reaching out to all of us here today, and saying, "If it's created, it's, it's going to let you down. It's, it's going to end in tears." When Meg was young, and um, her big sisters convinced her, uh, Meg, my wife here, and um, her, her big sisters, um, two older sisters, I don't see one of them here today yet, um, but it convinced her that she, sh she, could, she could fly if she could put her roller skates on and then skate off the roof. She would be able to fly. 
So the key they told her in all this was just to go very fast and to just flap her arms as hard as she could. So, so Meg put her, her trust in her arms and she flapped with all her might. But as you can imagine, the flight was very short-lived and it ended in tears. Luckily, no broken arms, but in tears. But arms, arms aren't great wings, are they? But their purpose is, is not to fly. And, and you see, we, we created things we never designed to take the place of God. Only God can fill the role of God. So what is, what is your idol? Where is your hope being placed? What do you use to guide and to fulfill you? Money, body, looks, health, family. We all have our thing, but, but only, only God can fill the purpose of being God. And God wants to be your everything. He wants to have an exclusive relationship with you. He wants to covenant with you. Okay, so let's just go through our plan for today, and it's threefold. We're going to look at why we make idols, what idols do to us, and then what God does about it. Why we make idols, what, what idols do to us, and then what God does about it. So let's jump into this first one, why we make idols. And I'll run through a few points and learn from Luke about alliteration. And so distrust. This happens when we stop trusting God knows what, what he is doing. And so the immediate context here of the story is that Moses has gone 40 days, right? The people think now they have, they have no God or they have no God. They're used to being ruled by these, these very visible Egyptians. And now all of a sudden they have no, they have no visible deity and God, and, they, and their visible guide, Moses, is, is not there either. And so they kind of grow impatient um, with God's timing, and they decide, we're going to take matters into our own hands. We get impatient too, Right? We, we know better what we, what we want, and we know by when we need it. So they made a golden calf. Great decision, guys. Great decision. That, that's going to fix everything. Let's make a golden calf. They're confused. One day it's Yahweh. The next day, it, next day it's, it's a golden cow. I mean, I really don't see what they see in that anyway. And then just having used... Earrings. They, they gather gold earrings, a little bit of earrings from everyone. And so some commentators say it could have been a very small, likely a wooden figure that was gilded in gold, but still a little calf to lead them and guide them through the wilderness. You know, they, they, they're worshipping this thing, and then they're giving credit for their rescue out of Egypt to their old pagan gods. And then they carry on. In verse 6 we see, And the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they rose up to play. Now, rose up to play, often referring to, to dubious sexual rituals at these sorts of ceremonies. All to the Lord. See, they're, they're floundering. They, they have no anchor. They've lost their trust in Yahweh and what he said that he would do for them. And their actions just lead to this almighty mess. How about disregard? When we, when we sin, we forget what God has done for us. And we return to our old ways, right? God performed a number of pretty impressive miracles to get these guys out of Egypt. Think about the plagues and the parting of the Red Sea. He's feeding them every day from the sky. Yet they revise history and they say other gods brought them out of Egypt. In verse 4, and they said, and these are your gods, small g, plural, gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. We forget his goodness, his character, his track record. That's why it's so important that we, that we keep reminding ourselves, our families, our children, remember, remember what the Lord has done. And then we look at duress. Too often what, is, what we do what is, what is popular rather than what is right. 
And Aaron here was, was swayed by the pressure of the, of, of the crowds. We, we spoke about this often here in, in Common Ground South Penn, the sway of culture on us, the, how hard it is to kind of walk upstream. But when we presence ourselves with God, he gives us the strength. And then disobedience. Sadly, our hearts are often drawn towards doing our own thing. Paddle your own canoe, right? I know what's best for me. How easy it is to tell God, God, we'll never do that thing again. Never. Two days, five days, ten days later, we do it again and again and again. We struggle with this habitual sin because it's the sin that's inside us. Luke spoke about that last week. That the, the Israelites were, were delivered from this external evil from Egypt, but they had not yet been delivered from this internal evil. They worshipped the calf because they never really forsook the gods of Egypt. They kept one foot in, in, the old, in the old door, just in case they need to go back there. Acts, Acts 7, verse 39, commentating on the story, actually says, in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. So I think it's critical that we take this time just to identify the idols in our, in our hearts, so not just our actions, in our hearts as well. Idols of comfort, security, power. How about Distortion. We, we twist what God intends for his glory and we bend it to our own will, right? The text doesn't say that people have turned away from God, but they turned away from what God, the way that God had commanded them. They want a God that enables them to do what they want to do. Under the guise of this golden calf and, uh, and justifying it as worshipping God, they set this golden calf up to allow them to do what they wanted to do. They distorted what they knew to be right to get what they wanted. It sounds familiar, right? I know I've done that. I see, I see the truth on one hand, and I see what I, what I want on, on the other hand. And I don't really mean to, but in an effort to kind of get my own will, I kind of create a story that allows me to have both. But in the end, we actually never have both. I know I'm married, but, but texting that woman just gives me such a rush, you know. We really connect. It's not hurting anyone. Maybe further down the line, I know I'm married and I made vows, but uh, my wife isn't who she used to be and Spark isn't there anymore and God wants me to be happy, doesn't he? He, wouldn't want me to, he wants me to thrive. He wants the best for me, right? And then we keep going down that path and we allow our true north to shift. And we believe our distortions. We use grace as an excuse to sin. It's okay, I'm forgiven, there's freedom, I can do what I want, God wants me to be happy. No, we, we, we're distorting this. So let's look at what idols do to us. And the first one is they demand sacrifice. For the Israelites, it, it took gold, burnt offerings. Idols want something from us. You know the story, you've seen it in movies and, and, and read it in books, that the protagonist wants something desperately, but in order to get it, they, they lose something precious. Little Mermaid gets legs but loses her voice. Annie LaRue gets eternal youth, but she's doomed to always be a stranger to the people around her. These are fairy tales, but, but, but ask, what do, we, what do we make sacrifices for? Do you sacrifice time, money, relationships, commitments to things that you've made to get that thing that you want, to scratch that itch? On the flip side, also, following God requires sacrifice. Jesus is on the cross. Romans speaks of our bodies being as, as living sacrifices, a commitment of our lives to him. And, and sometimes we need to lay down our own hopes and our dreams to follow God's calling. 
But I want you to see there's a major, major difference here. Idols will take and will take and will take from you and from your relationships. But God, he gives and he gives and he gives. And more than you can imagine. And the life that comes out of that is so rich and full and it's ever increasing. He just keeps giving. Idols also corrupt the worshiper. It's often said you become like who you worship. Stiff-necked, like the calf maybe. Israel is called stiff-necked by Yahweh, which is the phrase that speaks of these beasts of burden, so cattle and bulls and livestock who don't want to do what their, what their master is telling them to do. Israel's becoming like bulls. Stiff-necked people always, always think that they are right. And this one degree of corruption just leads to another. We blame, we blame others as Aaron did. Moses to Aaron. Um, so, so what happened, bud? Um, I, I left you here, and, and I come back, and now there's, this, there's, a, there's a golden calf, and there's this big party. And Aaron goes, um, the, the people made me do it? And then in verse 24, he says, so they gave it to me, the gold, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. What? It's crazy. You know, we just, we, we just, we, we go away from that. My daughter loves dogs. And she uses her screen time to look at funny dog memes. This is one of her favorites. And I want to illustrate this point with this one. You can read those up there. One minute I was sleeping on the pillow. And then poof, it exploded. Let's just be thankful I'm still alive. I'm so happy to see you. I was sitting on the couch and bang, the cushions exploded. I could have died. Look at those dogs' faces. Hey? We do what we want to do. Then we have to scramble with the fallout. And the next thing, we're, we're adding more wrongs on top of this. And uh, it's, it's getting out of hand, but, but I've, I've started on this path, and I'm not willing to give it up, and it, and it feels so good. I know it's wrong. It escalates, and it escalates, and we get sucked in, and that happens. And then we find that they bring judgment on you. There's always consequences to sin. It's just the way it is. Sometimes we see it right away, and other times it, other times it takes time. But if you're a Christ follower, when we worship false gods or idols, we, we cause this disconnect, this, this rift. We're not kicked out of the family, but we're not in harmony with God. I'll talk a little bit more about that in the next section as well. But here we are, feeling a bit prickly in our seats, aware of some of the stuff that maybe we're turning a blind eye to. Kind of wishing that we hadn't started chewing on the corner of that little pillow that we saw there. But with God, guys, there's always good news. There's always good news. I told you at the beginning. Let's keep going. So our third section here is, is what God does about this. And I want to speak uh, firstly just about the wrath of God because, hey, there are some parts of this text that are pretty terrifying. Um, and the wrath of God in the Old Testament is probably a, a whole sermon uh, on its own. But, but just to touch on it lightly, I will, I will say this. Uh, we, we don't like to think of God as, as angry or, or willing to incinerate us if we sin against him, Right? But it's important to understand that God, God is not like us. The anger we experience on a human level is not the same as God's anger. Ours is born out of our humanity, our sinfulness, and often out of a deficiency in our maturity. But he is completely different. God's wrath is born out of who he is. He is pure, and he is just, and he is good. And because of this purity and the fact that he is the creator, he is the only one who can recompense evil. It's in God's nature to eliminate it, and his, his perfection cannot even look upon sin. On the cross, we see that he turned his face away from Jesus when Jesus took on our sin. 
God's view and his intolerance of sin haven't changed since the Old Testament. He still feels the same way today, and he will until his kingdom comes again. But that's what we're seeing here in this, in this text, an utterly spotless and just God looking at flawed people who have done it again. They've ushered in sin and evil, and his very being cannot tolerate it. But God is also a God of compassion and of mercy. He doesn't dismiss the sin. In fact, he actually, he actually says he'll deal with it in verse 34. But now go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. We see that God holds this tension between his mercy and his justice. Both are intrinsic to his nature. Both need to be filled. So enter his rescue plan. He performs an even greater rescue mission. God knew that his wrath would be stored up throughout the ages. And Romans 5 tells us that quite clearly. It says, "For, for a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. But God is always driven by his desire to draw us to himself. There we have it. So he created this loophole, if you will. One that, one that cost him dearly. He placed Jesus, his precious son, between us and his justice. Megan and I were very late to that um, whole Lost series, you know, when the plane crashes and survive, you know, they're surviving and stuff like that. But if you watched it, you'll remember several scenes where the survivors are kind of running through the jungle and they're being chased by this, this weird, like, black smoke that kind of tears you apart if it catches you. Um, but they would keep running, and they'd get to this place where there's this force field. And once they stepped over this force field, and it's almost like an invisible line, and the smoke would immediately stop. And, and it couldn't catch them. They couldn't get through. And sometimes I think of the cross that way, if you will. It, it created a, a kind of a force field protecting us from the wrath of God, from the justice that we deserve. On the cross, Jesus absorbed our punishment. The Father could no longer look at him, but he could now look at us. We are, we are clothed in the perfection of Christ. His sense of justice has not been diluted by his grace. It's just been redirected. Jesus paid the price for us all. Isn't that incredible? You may have heard the story, if you just read with me. A young boy worked hard creating a little sailboat. When the boat was painted and the sail was finished, he proudly carried his new boat to the edge of the river for its first launch. He carefully placed it in the water and slowly let out the string. How smoothly the boat sailed. He sat in the warm sunshine, admiring the little boat that he had built. Suddenly, a strong current caught the boat. When he tried to pull it back to shore, the string broke. The wind and the current pushed the little boat downstream. The young boy ran along the shore as fast as he could, but his little boat soon slipped out of sight. All afternoon, he searched for the boat. Finally, when it was too dark and to look any longer, he sadly went home. A few days later, on the way home from school, he spotted a boat just like his in the store window. When he got closer, he could see, sure enough, it was his. He hurried to the store and spoke to the store manager. Sir, that's, that's my boat in your window. I made it. Sorry, son, but someone else bought, brought it in this morning. If you want it, you'll have to buy it. So he ran home. He counted all his money. He had exactly enough, and he rushed back to the store to buy his handmade to- toy. As he left the store, the boy hugged his handmade boat, and he said, Little boat, you are twice mine. First I made you, and now I bought you. That's God's heart for us, guys. He made us and he bought us. And because he is merciful and because he is unjust and because his love drives, drives him to draw us in. 
That's God, what God does with the Israelites, when he, and he does it for us too here. He steps into this mess and he offers forgiveness. He, he draws the Israelites back to himself as a father would, again and again. And he does that for us today too. He's for us. He's for our restoration. And we've seen through history and through our own lives that he generously and repeatedly makes a way for us to have a relationship with him. The truth is that we're a far better place than these Israelites. Uh, to them, God was, was distant. He, he, he wasn't even dwelling among them yet in the tabernacle. They had this confusing history of Egyptian gods. But we have direct access to God. We don't have any hoops to jump through. He's right here with us, in us. And as he was with Moses, he's not willing to give up on us. He wants to guide us to restoration, to harmony with him. All we need to do is accept this incredible gift of grace. This can be hard, whether we, whether we feel like we, we don't deserve it or whether we feel we don't need it. We just need to figure it out and just do it. We need to come back to that question at the start. Is our, is our trust in created things or is it in God? We're the only people in the world that have access to this inner transformation through Christ. We're like those starfish that can grow. And we can, we can find real restoration we let him in, we do the work, we grow, we become more like him. We let him in, we do the work, we grow, we become more like him, and we repeat that cycle. Our part is to trust in the hope that is Jesus Christ. To trust in the work that God has started in us, he will bring to completion. And we get to live in that life-giving place of being anchored to him, worshipping only him. Not anxiously looking to the left or the right, trying to fill our needs with other things, but just resting in him and trusting him to be the God in our lives. I can ask the band just to come up as I, as I pray for us this morning. You know, as we just, um, I just want to take some time to, to reflect in your own lives um, about that. And I want us, I want us to, to remember again, what, what, what Viv spoke prophetically beginning this meeting about God just reaching out his hand to you and, and meeting you. And I, and I hope you've seen that there this morning. God's just reaching out to you. And, and hey, we're all going to mess up. We've all got, we all got, we all got things that we, we put our, our hope in, created things that just are going to let us down. So as the band leads us off, I just want to, let me just pray for us this morning. God, thank you this morning that your hand has reached out to us. We want to take that. And as we do that, we want to just reflect on our lives, on what we truly put our, our trust in and our hope in. And God, we've got to navigate this, this world. I trust that we would just lift our eyes to you and to an eternity with you, God. Thank you that you usher us into this life-giving place. That we can trust in the hope that is Jesus Christ. Lord, that you are, you, are completing, you are completing a work in us. And I pray this morning that those, those other things from this world would just fall away. God, you're a God that steps into our mess. You offer forgiveness and grace. So God, we, we open up this morning and ask you to do that. Why don't you ask God just to step into your life this morning, into, into your mess, 
and just trust in him and his love for you and what he achieved on the cross for you this morning. Usher us into that life-giving place that is with you, a life lived with you, God.